Well, thank you guys. Sorry to start off on such a, uh, a somber note, but it's also a time of, of celebration. And uh, did you guys also hear that this week um, we, we lost another giant of the faith who went home to be with Jesus, Dr. Reverend Billy Graham? Yeah, you guys all heard that? Yeah. Well, I love the quote that Franklin Graham, I heard him say it on uh, the Today Show that Billy said. <laughs> Billy said, when you hear that Billy Graham is dead, don't believe it for a moment. I'm more alive than I've ever been before. And that is the hope that is in the gospel. Amen? Amen. So we have a hope. And that's why we're here. We're going through a series, if we can bring the, the slides up. We're going through a series called... Okay. <laughs> I'm not the normal preaching pastor up here, guys. So I just meet with people one on one a lot. I don't know. I don't use microphones when I do that. No, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. The cracking was me about to cry, not the thing. <laughs> so. I love you guys. You're so welcoming and comforting. Good job. <laughs> Thanks for smiling at me this morning. So if you were here last week, you know that we've been going through a series called Just Walk Across the Room. And so this week, we're going to go through week two. Um, this series is written by Bill Hybels from Willow Creek Church. And so a lot of it is in his words. So I actually have a program here that I'm going to go by that's going to help us get through this. But I want to ask you guys, based off of last week's message where we were talking about giving the greatest gift, which is, most of the time if you just say Jesus, when a pastor asks a question, you get it right. The greatest gift is Jesus. That's right. We can give him away, but first we have to, what, just walk across the room. So he talked about going into the zone of the unknown, and you can bring up the next slide, I think, which uh, bullet points. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we have to be willing to leave our circle of comfort. And Bill Hybels talks about the circle of comfort really being that place where we've got all of our friends, all the things that we need, and uh, basically we just feel comfortable, which is a great thing because Jesus is the comforter. He sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us, and so that is a great thing. But because of that, we should be able to leave and go to what he calls the zone of the unknown, which is a very uncomfortable a place, a place where we don't know what's going to happen. And so therefore, a lot of people don't do it because they don't know what's going to happen out there. Then he talked about listen for the Spirit's promptings. And I don't think we covered any scriptures, but there are lots of scriptures that talk about that. Do you guys remember Philip in Acts? Acts 8, remember the Ethiopian eunuch? What happened? The Spirit spoke to him and said, hey, go over there. And so he went over there and he talked to him. And then what happened to, uh, um, to Peter? When he was getting ready to talk to Cornelius, the Spirit came and talked to him and said, Hey, I'm getting ready to send some people to you. You need to welcome them so that you can go over there. So what the, he does is he comforts us to go into the zone of the unknown by speaking to us by his Spirit. And that is so encouraging, guys. The God of the universe will actually help you and speak to you. And that's a miracle in itself. But then we have to work, work up the courage and we have to obey. We have to just get up and walk across the room. 
So one of the things I've learned being in sales, because you guys know I'm a part-time associate pastor. I have a full-time job in real estate. So there's a lot of sales training that you go through, okay? And one of the things that I picked up was this thing that psychologists apparently talk about, which I'm not a psychologist. You guys can correct me later if the term needs to be changed a little bit. But it's called the reticular activator. Does anybody know what that is? Am I the only one? No, well, apparently it's a phenomenon that happens when you begin to think about something or somebody talks about something, and then when you go out, like, for example, you buy a new car and you buy a Honda Civic, for example, right? What happens when you get out on the road and you start driving around the next week? You start to see Honda Civics everywhere, and you're like, I didn't know everybody had one. If everybody had one, I may not have bought one. I may have tried to be different. Or maybe you're like, oh, great. That means I made a good choice. It's a good car. Everybody buys it. But either way, something happens when you begin to think about something and meditate on it where you begin to recognize things that have always been there, but you're just now recognizing them and aware of them for the first time. So this week, did anybody experience what I experienced after last week talking about just walking across the room? Did you begin to feel a little overwhelmed at work? or a little overwhelmed in the grocery store or on the bus, and you're seeing all these people, and you're like, oh, my gosh, they all have souls. <laughs> They're all hurting in some way. Oh, my goodness, Lord, help me here. I don't know, but I was a little overwhelmed. So um, I'm going through this just like you guys. Just because you're an associate pastor doesn't mean you're like, talking to every person that you meet every day about Jesus. So I was really challenged in that. But you know what? God was faithful. I'm going to share a little story with you. I started this new job, right? It's a, I've been in training. Uh, one of the places I was at is up north, and I was there for a whole week. During that entire week, this guy, his name is Greg, came in one time, introduced himself to the little training group I was with, and for some reason, the Holy Spirit let me remember his name, Right? So this next week, we were at a new office, and I go in, and I'm talking to some other people or whatnot, and there is this guy over in the corner, and then the Holy Spirit's like, that's Greg. So at that point, I had an option. Either respond by actually being like, oh, okay, you must have told me his name's Greg to help me remember it, because I have a hard time remembering people's names usually. So I can just walk over there and introduce myself to Greg, or I can just be like, oh, that's great. Thanks for letting me know that for when I see him sometime down the road. That, that's great. But, no, after going through the message, what happened? I walked over there because I felt, I felt like I had to after going through the message. So I walked over there, and guys, I'm not even kidding you. Started out very simple. I'm like, hey, I'm cold. Do you remember me? I don't expect you to. He's like, he's like no, but, yeah, thanks for coming over and saying hi, though. I did remember going to that class with the people that were there. I was like, great. And in 10 minutes just asking how he is, how he likes his job. He starts talking about religion and Christianity and how he doesn't have a church, and he's, like, open to learning about these things. Um, and I don't think I told him I was an associate pastor at a church. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the Holy Spirit was already at work in this gentleman's life, and he just needed somebody in the flesh to go over there and begin to deepen the conversation. And that all happened in, like, ten minutes. But, of course, I was at work, so I was like, hey, man, that's awesome. I love talking to you about this stuff. Why don't we have lunch? And so this coming Wednesday, we're going to have lunch. Did anybody else have any encounters, you know, at least little ones that were similar? Not the only one? Okay, great. Great, great, great. So, guys, uh, moving on from there, just a reminder, we are in this together. And the reason that we're doing this course is not just to fill up 
uh, ministry time on our calendar. The reason we're doing this is because this is who God is. He always leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. This is not a ploy to fill in these empty seats right here. This is because there are eternal destinations at stake, which we are so painfully aware of in this moment because of what has happened recently. And so there is a real deep reason for why we are doing this. So guys, with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into the actual message that Roland talked about. He made a promise to you last week. He said, I'll explain to you what living in 3D is next week. So we can go to the next slide, I believe, over here. So I love it when teachers actually lay out the entire outline at first. Who's with me? Yes, okay, great. So I'm going to give you the three Ds right now instead of having them just come up throughout the next 20 minutes. The first D is develop friendships. Develop friendships. The second D, if you're taking notes, is discover stories. Discover stories. And the third D is discern next steps. The third D is discern next steps. And it's okay, you don't have to follow with the slides for all three Ds. I just like it when people give them up front. So what are we going to talk about first? We're going to talk about this, um, we're going to talk about the friendships, developing friendships. Guys, even if we weren't followers of Christ, this is something we should just all be all be good at, hopefully, if we've lived in a society with people. But unfortunately, with our technology and everything, it's really not. Like if we grew up on a farm or whatnot, you know, maybe we had better skills with animals and people, or maybe we grew up in the city and we were just so sick of people and we're like, people are dumb. I don't want to deal with them anymore. I'm not, am I the only one that's ever thought that before? Don't leave me up here by myself, guys. Okay. Uh, so we have to be willing to go and enter the zone of the unknown and listen for the Spirit's prompting and then just walk. And so some of the questions we want to be asking ourselves when we go into the zone of the unknown are, what do I think about? Number two, what do I pray about? And number three, what on earth do I say? And these are all legitimate questions and things we should be asking the Holy Spirit to help us with. If there's one thing I want you to get out of this message, it is relying on the Holy Spirit. Because it is so true. Anything that we do in the flesh, we will botch it up. Amen? We sure will, especially in terms of spiritual matters or eternal matters. It will get botched up. All right, so how do we develop friendships? The number one thing we do is very simple, is we turn on, or ask the Holy Spirit to turn on our reticular activators. <laughs> we ask him to give us vision to see the people around us. What are some very basic ways that we can develop friendships? Number one is just being aware of the people that are around us. Personal story, when I first moved to Chicago from North Carolina, I did not have a car. I was riding my bike doing public transportation, which is great. Now that I work in sales, I kind of need a car to get around. But I remember being on the bus, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to use this time on the trains. It's like bus or trains, like 30 minutes, one way each day. I'm going to use it to um, uh, listen to worship music or listen to a message, which is all great, right? But you know what ended up happening? 
it ended up being, I, I realized that I've got these earbuds in my ears because I don't want to deal with the people around me because I'm tired. I've got my own stuff to deal with. I'm trying to pay my bills. And especially in Chicago, when there's somebody on every corner or even in the train asking for money, asking you to do this survey with them. You know what I'm talking about, right? And you're like, look, I have no margin in my life. I do not have time. I like you. Or I might like you if I would talk to you at least, but I don't have time for this right now. So I realized that. And then the Lord showed me a scripture that said that if I close my, this is, I think it was in Psalms, if I close my ears, if you close your ears to the poor, the people that are asking for something, I will close my ears to you. And I was like, oh, well, I don't want that. Let me pull out these earbuds. And so that was the first step, just being aware of the people around you. Or it could be just not being on Facebook all the time or Instagram, everything, email all the time. But just when you're with people, making a point to discipline yourself to put down what, whatever is in your hand or whatever seems important at the moment and realize that to God, the most important thing is that soul right beside you. He made them, he loves them, and in his sovereignty, he puts you right there with them for this particular moment. Because very simple question, but... Does God make mistakes? The, the answer biblically is no, he doesn't make mistakes. And does he use everything for our benefit? Even though it may be hurting, it may be painful, he does use it for our benefit. So in his sovereignty, there is never a mistake of who is beside you, wherever that you're at. It is by the hand of God that he has done that. So what Bill Hybel says is that we've got to make a habit of being in this search mode. We're not, this is not a sermon about how to build habits, but you need to make a habit of being constantly aware of the people around you and being searching for those that are around you and that are in need. And what Bill Hybels talks about is he, he pulls the scripture, which is so great, where it talks about the lost things being found and how parties by angels are being thrown in heaven. And he says that, well, the normal Christian life and the normal reaction that's going on in heaven should be a constant party mode that is going on because we should constantly be reaching out to those around us and seeing the lost be found. And I just love that thought of a constant party in heaven because it totally is great to think about that instead of the angels, it's the little baby angels on harps. Don't take a picture of anybody right now. I know <laughs> this looks funny, but that is so much better than that. And I love that thought process. Um, so going on from there, he pulls out an algebraic term that he uses. And so the example that he uses, and this is not based on anybody in the audience, but the example he uses is of a man named Jake. And he says that we need to be aware of direct and indirect variations. So if you're a math person, you love algebra, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Direct and indirect variations. Okay, in absence of a flip chart, I'll use words and try to hold this up right here. So imagine there's a gentleman. His name is Jake. Maybe he's in puberty. So in the course of a month, he grows 10%. Well, if there is a direct variation to his weight and his height, what's going to happen to his weight? As his height goes up by 10%, his weight goes up by 10% as well. Thank you, Adam. Good job. And then he talks about an indirect variation. 
An indirect variation would be where if in this puberty time, his height goes up by 10%, if it's an indirect, his weight is going to decrease by 10%. That's why that time of life in, in boys' lives, it's like we go from being like short and stubby to like tall and skinny in like a year. You know what I'm talking about? So that's what happens. And so to apply this to a Christ follower's life, I want you to think back to when, if, if you're already following Christ, to when you became a Christ follower. So the before and the after. What we preach here is three main things to, capitalize, to, to um, capsulize what we believe God wants the church to do, and that is Christ, community, and culture. You guys are on it. Christ, community, culture. So number one, we want everybody to come into a relationship with Christ. But then number two, once people come into that relationship, then they come into a community of Christ followers. And there's a lot of healing that happens there. You start to make some of your best friends because you're like, we're going to be together forever. This is awesome. And you can start to go almost like eternally deep with those people because there's no, like, no fear of like, having to break off the relationship because you know in Christ you're going to be with them forever. And so you see a direct variation of the closer you come to Christ, the closer you're growing in community because you're full of love. It starts to overflow on all the people around you. And then for the lost that are around you, your friends, your family, your coworkers that don't know Jesus, you're like, oh, Jesus is awesome. Let me, let me help you. What do you need help with? And you begin to become their friends. You begin to invest in their lives because you know that it's important to the Father's heart. So it becomes important to your heart. So we're seeing this constant direct variation, right? All right, more of Jesus, more of everything else. This is great. But there's a dark, a dark side. If I can use a Star Wars term here. There is a dark side to this equation. And some of you have probably experienced it. And I have definitely been there in my life, especially when I was in North Carolina. And the Lord was healing me up from relational issues that I had. And uh, he calls it the... Uh, uh, the underbelly. So this is where the indirect variation occurs. So I want you to imagine here. What happens is, as the Holy Spirit is working in you, bringing you closer to Christ, and around you to your lost friends, they're becoming found, what happens is your circle of comfort just gets really big, right? And there's all these people inside your circle of comfort to where there are no people that you interact with on a regular basis who don't know Jesus. Now, that sounds all good in theory, right? But until Jesus comes back, there's always going to be people who don't know Jesus. And so what Bill Highwell talks about is this is what we have to constantly be aware of and we have to fight against because we always are seeking comfort. So we have to intentionally and the key word is intentionally get out of our comfort zones to go and seek those people out who don't know Jesus and to start new friendships. And it all comes down to whether we're willing to do that or not. Are we willing to get out of our comfort zone? And I love what Bill says. Bill says that, not Billy Graham, Bill Hybels. Bill says that, because Jesus took a cosmic walk across time and space to come find us when he was perfectly comfortable, had everything he needed in the, the triune Godhead, 
we should do the same. And the reason we should do it is because that is the Father's heart. And so he talks about these, what he calls the better bees. And so he says that what happens is we begin to basically cherish our comfort more than the Father's heart. Because if he's always leaving the 99 and going after the one, then we should be doing the same as well. And so we become, not intentionally, this is not accusing anybody of doing this intentionally, because it's all good, what we've talked about, right? More of Jesus of me, more of Jesus of those around me and everybody else. So this is not intentionally, but what happens is we can all become Pharisees. We don't mean to. We're just trying to do everything right and help everybody else do everything right. But we begin to build up these qualifiers and these filters in our minds, and we're constantly qualifying people. Um, We all have this checklist of, okay, I see this person over here. Okay, but I've just got too much to do. I need to go meet with this other person that that maybe I'm discipling in in Jesus, even though they've known the Lord for five years, and and they should be discipling somebody else as well by now. Uh, So I don't have time to go meet this person. Or, oh, you know, that person over there, they're just too far gone. I know that they're an alcoholic, and that's just too much work for me. I'm going to go for the, for the low-hanging fruit over here. So we've just built up all these intentions. And really what it comes down to, just to summarize it, because we don't have a ton of time today, is that we don't have the Father's heart. And so we lose the Father's heart. Do you guys remember Revelation? you guys remember the letters that were written to the churches? The one that stands out to me and just constantly challenges me is the letter to the ones who forgot their first love. They left their first love. They hated the practices of the Nicolaitans, but they forgot their first love. And so really walking across the room is just a call back to our first love, to Jesus and his heart and his mission. Now please don't think in any way are we at Second City Church minimizing the importance of discipleship relationships and mentoring. And as Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded, which is the call to discipleship. But it starts with what? Just walking across the room and getting out there with somebody. So we're not going to beat that dead horse anymore over there. All right, what's the next slide? Oh, pictures! Doesn't this take you back to story time, like when you were a kid? I wish they, like, popped up. You know know the pop-up books? Okay. So let me find where we're at here. Okay. So do you remember the parable trifecta? Tri meaning three. There's three up here. That Jesus describes in Luke 15. You know, the lost sheep. Bah. The lost coin. And the lost son. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is seen in a marketplace setting having conversations with people who are irreligious, people who are really far from his father and who had made lots of mistakes. They had painted outside the lines, uh, used terrible language, drank too much, slept in the wrong bed, cheated other folks out of money, and the list goes on and on. And he's interacting with them. He's talking, he's listening, he's enjoying his fellowship and his conversation with them. But guess who's looking on and getting a troubled spirit about this? 
the Pharisees that we were just talking about. They're getting upset because he's interacting with them. And actually, they think the whole deal is utterly scandalous because the people Jesus is interacting with are the exact people who are on their qualifier list, meaning, well, if they were really seeking God, they would stop doing that over there. They would stop smoking, and they would stop sleeping around, and they would stop uh, drinking so much, and they would do better at their job. You know what I'm talking about, right? We've all got that list, and it's different for every culture. But we're a melting pot here, so I can't point them all out. But I know we all have that list. I've had my list because I grew up in a church. So I was probably the worst Pharisee of of all of them. And the Lord's still, like, getting to me uh, on those things. But somewhat along the way, they convinced themselves, and this is the heart of the matter, surely God has a heart like our hearts. This is the Pharisee talking that's looking on as Jesus is uh, talking to the sinners that are around there. So instead of trying to have God's heart, they become saying, well, God must have my heart. He must be like me, which is utterly dangerous place to be, number one. We should never be thinking, oh, God is like me. God is not like us. Look at Jesus. He, was, he, he is nothing like us in the sense of his perfection and his holiness and his love. He's on the cross and his arms reach as far as the east is from the west and brings everybody in. There were no qualifiers other than, do you believe? That was it. So, so, so anyway, the Pharisees reasoned this way. If God's insides are like this, some people he loves and some people he hates, then it's perfectly okay for our insides to be like that. Some people we love, some people we just hate. So they looked at the irreligious people who were immoral and godly in so many ways, and they hated them. They wished evil upon them. Soon enough, Jesus hears them grumbling about this. He sees their hearts. Okay, note to take, God always sees our hearts. I think we all know that, but it's good to hear. We can't hide anything from him. You know, Jesus always took the law to the next level. Like the law says don't murder, but what did Jesus say? He said don't even hate your brother in your heart because it's the same as murder. So Jesus sees our hearts. Um, So they looked at the, they hated them, they wished evil upon them. He sees their hearts and springs into action. He tells three of the famous stories in Scripture, one right after the other. The first, a lost sheep. The second, a lost coin. The third, a wayward boy. So the cool thing here is that I never noticed this until Bill was talking about this. How many sheep were there in the story, for those of you that that know the Luke 15 stories? Total. Total sheep. There are 100 sheep, right? And how many of the sheep were dumb and got lost? (laughs) One. Get it? One. <laughs> How many coins were there in the story? Ten. There were ten coins. Okay, so he started big, getting smaller. And then, how many sons were there? Two sons. So he makes the point that, so we don't have time to go through it all, but Bill Hybels in his... Um, in his story here, he uses his imagination and says that, man, I imagine there's one of these Pharisees that heard this that day, because we know that some of the Pharisees did come and follow Jesus, right? Nicodemus, uh, and then the one that gave the tomb away uh, to him to be buried in, even though they were a little scared and came at night sometimes, like they were secretly followers of Jesus. So he imagines that one of them went away, and we're just mulling these stories over and over again and trying to figure out, like, Why did Jesus tell these stories, and what do they mean for me? Because apparently it was for me. And he realized that, oh, 
these lost ones were so important to the one who owned them that they were willing to leave the rest and go after it. So it just really came down to who they belonged to and how much they meant to them. So this Pharisee had to step out of his own world to see how these people that he's hated for so long or didn't find valuable or important felt to the Father. That's hard to do sometimes, right? It's hard to step out of our own shoes and see how somebody feels to somebody else. Even with just happened in like the scenarios of like losing someone, we have to put ourselves into the shoes of the people that were close to that person that just, that just left the earth and see how they feel about it in order to comfort them and have God, God's heart toward them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, going on from there, the Pharisee comes to the conclusion, and once again, this is the imagination of Bill Hybels. The Pharisee comes to the conclusion that could it be that Jesus was saying God the Father doesn't even have a hate list? Could it be that the love of the Father is so much love of another kind, love at such a higher and broader and wider level, wider level that every man, woman, and child has ever inhaled air on this planet is the object of his great affection, and maybe there's not a single person who ever lived that God wanted to consign to hell? Yeah, newsflash, friends. Jesus came for everybody. And we don't know who the elect are if you're a, uh, <laughs> a theology student. Only God knows who the elect are, so who should we be reaching out to? Everybody. Everyone. Because they're all important. I don't know if some of you felt like you've had the gift of evangelism and you just love going and handing out the invite cards and you love... Um, uh, just sharing the gospel like straight up on the street, walking up to somebody and be like, hey, you guys have a minute to talk. I just want to talk to you about Jesus. Do you have time? Like that is, that's like 1% of the church population that feels comfortable doing that, <laughs> number one. And so following Rollin around my entire time growing up in the faith, I'm like, well, that's what I'm supposed to be like. <laughs> but that's not really me. Uh, I'm not that good at that. And then there was a scripture in First Peter that's so comforting to me, and I want to share it with you right now to comfort your heart. Yes, there is a place for the evangelist in the church. Amen? Amen. There is a place for that evangelist. But there is always a place in every life for evangelism from everybody. But for most of us, even though we should get out of our comfort zones, go on mission trips, you should do that to stretch you. But most of us, it's going to be relational. It's going to be building that friendship. And there's a key word here that we all have to ask the Holy Spirit to develop in us starts with a P and ends with patience. Patience. That is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, is it not? Okay, well, First Peter talks about how God is not slow in keeping his promises, as some count slowness. But he desires that all would come to repentance, and so therefore he delays on purpose because he's kind, he's loving, he wants all to come with saving knowledge. And that is the heart he wants us to have as a church, patient and loving and kind. And if they don't receive the gospel the first time you attack them on the train with it, <laughs> it's okay. Just be their friend. <laughs> Get to know them. Know what they need and help them. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so he basically boils it down to of just being open. And if we have that heart, next slide. Next slide, in order to develop friendships, in order to discover stories. Is it not true that when somebody walks up to us, even before they say a word, you can already sense, like, are they trying to get something from you? Are they a salesman? Are they trying to, you know, figure me out? What is going on here? And what happens when you sense that? Yeah, you lock up, right? I do. And I'm a salesperson. I work work in sales. Um, And I still do that. I avoid salespeople when I go into into Barnes and Nobles and everything. I'm just glad that I know their tricks now because I work in sales. But the whole point of that, to cover this, and we're not... We're running out of time. We're not going to go into this deeply. But if your heart is right, if you have the Father's heart and you're patient with people and you really want to be their friend and you care about them, then you can ask questions and discover their stories through the natural times of doing life together. And so I'm going to read one of Bill Heibel's stories. He has two. We're just going to read one. Um, Here we go. Okay, let me give you one more example of this from another of our series. Bill tells of the time that he had a man who was living really far from God. um, That he, I'm sorry, a time that he and a man who was living really far from God raced motorcycles together. The man was pretty rough around the edges, but from the very beginning, Bill was extremely careful not to condemn his lifestyle or criticize him for his poor decision-making patterns. So Bill (laughs) Bill saw all this. He's like, man, this dude, he does not know God's ways at all, and that's why he's in this situation. So he was aware of that. So it's okay to be aware of it, but he didn't criticize it or bring it up to him in that time. He just stayed focused on being a good friend, hoping that someday, patience, God would show him a way to point him toward faith. At one point in the relationship, this friend felt safe enough to admit that he had a severe drinking problem and that it was starting to get the best of him. He told Bill that he knew he was spiraling downward and that he had an intensing sense of fear that his addiction was sabotaging just about every aspect of his life. Now again, because the two men had cultivated a friendship, in this case based on the recreational activity, of motorcycle racing, Bill had the relational currency that was necessary to probe the situation further. Bill was trusted. He had proven that he had his other guy's best interest at heart, and he had shown time and time again that he viewed the other guy as a friend, not as some evangelistic project. Relying on the Spirit's wisdom and timing, the day came when Bill implored this friend to enter a program for alcoholics. In this case, his racing buddy was afforded not only sobriety through the program, but also a relationship with Christ. He prayed the prayer of salvation after one of the weekly meetings and allowed God's renewing power to breathe fresh direction into his once destructive life. This guy's whole world changed because of a few conversations with someone who was living in 3D long before the concept even had a name. All right, next slide. Okay, so discerning appropriate next steps. We actually have a short video that we're going to watch. 
cue that video. I saw something so uh, valuable inside Dave, and uh, I remember just saying to myself, this is going to be a long, slow walk. He's got to see a Christian kind of walk the walk. I, ne I never put a time span on it. I just said, this is a guy I'd like to be friends with and let God do whatever God's going to do. I really wanted to make sure that it was God doing the work and uh, me riding in the second position. Before uh, regatta, I was preparing my little area on the sailboat, and Bill would come up and just ask me how my week had gone, how Beth was, maybe what had gone on at work. I mean, the conversations never really moved uh, towards faith or Christianity. And it, again, it was just so refreshing uh, to me that he was concerned about me as an individual and what was going on in my life. I think really, Trying to point someone in the direction of faith is usually the summation of a lot of little inputs along the way. I don't think it's the big three-hour talk where you start with creation and end at the end of the Bible. I, I don't think it's a great big theological brain dump all at once. I remember uh, Bill giving me a copy of Case for Christ before it was uh, ever even in print. And so in my travels around the country, uh, you know, on airplanes, I would pull that out and uh, read a few pages. And I really needed that because I was so inquisitive about the science part of it. All right. So, guys, we're just going to dissect that real quick. <clears throat> some of the things that we should have picked up on there were, were some of the next steps that Bill apparently discerned by the power of the Holy Spirit on how to help this guy out. So number one, he had the love of God. He really believed in him. Like he just, he wanted to be his friend. He saw him as a valuable person, a valuable soul, and it was genuine. He was not an evangelistic project. Did you guys sense that from the way that Bill Hybels was talking? And so we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us that kind of love, you know, and, um, <laughs> that will bring up other things in your heart if you're having a hard time, and we can talk about those because Jesus said we have to love our neighbor as ourself, and so we can talk about if you're having challenges with that. Um, and then he asked simple personal questions, just, you know, interpersonal questions. Hey, how are you? How's it going? How's your wife doing? Like, really showed an interest in him, but then somehow through that relationship, he realized that, oh, this guy, Dave, he loves science. Great. I'm going to give him this book, so he picked up on that and discerned, called The Case for Christ. And if any of you have read that, it's a small apologetics book. And because it was small, when he was traveling on the plane, he was able to take it with him, read on it a little bit. So that was the Holy Spirit whispering to Bill and be like, hey, pick up on this. Give him that. This is what he needs. And so what ended up uh, happening is he ended up coming to the Lord. But also something that we pick up on, too, is Bill wasn't ashamed like, to let him know that he was Christian, he was just being real. He probably wasn't ashamed in this case because Bill is a pastor to let him know, like, hey, I'm a pastor. He just didn't, like, fly in front of him with some kind of pharisaical authoritarian, put a yoke on you, now you must follow Christ because I'm here type thing <laughs> on him. Uh, and he told him, I'm going to pray for you. 
And hopefully Bill really did pray for him, like he said he would. But that's so powerful. All these three coming together, these three things, genuinely interested in him through love, and then discerning what he tangibly needed for his mind, in that case, the book, spending time with him, and then praying for him and asking to God to do what only he can do. So guys, I think all of us, at least if we're already a Christ follower, we, we can think of some next steps that the person or the people, usually the people that were integral in us slowly coming to Christ had in our lives. So we're going to do just a little exercise real quick. Uh, the uh, tech team is going to turn on a song. It's just going to be about 60 seconds, not long. And what I want you to do is you want to get out a piece of paper or get out your little notes app on your phone. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what you may not have been aware of at the time that other people did for you in terms of helping you take little next steps along that way of coming to Christ. So just 60 seconds. We're not going to flaunt these in front of anybody. This is just for, just for you. So even if you just think, it's okay. All right, we can start the time. Spirit reveal some of the things that he was lovingly doing through other people in your development and, and coming to Christ. So if the worship team would like to like to come up now. And um, so in closing, uh, Mark chapter 3, there's a story of the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. So I don't want to paint the picture that if you're patient with people, that there will not be persecution. <laughs> there may still be people trying to trap you. I mean, think about Jesus and Judas, right? He spent lots of time with Jesus and still turned on him. So I'm not trying to paint that picture at all. But the Pharisees in this scenario were trying to trap Jesus by seeing if, on the Sabbath day, if he was going to obey their interpretation of the law, or if he was going to reach out and touch the man with the withered hand. And so Jesus says that he was angry and he was furious that they would not, that they were trying to uh, catch Jesus and breaking the law rather than helping this man. And so Jesus told the man to come up, stand in front of everybody, 
And he said, show him your hand, and he healed him. So the point of this story is that we all are or have been withered in some way. Some of us had withered dreams. Some of us had withered hopes. Literally, some of us had withered minds, maybe, because of the things that we've been through or the deficits that are there. Some of us have withered bodies, actually withered bodies, and Jesus wants to touch all of that. And this week is a new week, guys. If you haven't realized any of this before, or maybe you did and your, your zeal has just, you know, grew cold for a season because it's winter and it's cold outside <laughs> and you don't want to interact with anybody, or maybe it was a winter in your soul where you just couldn't find the love of God for people around you, even though you knew it was the right thing. This is a new week, and I, I challenge you and I pray for you that the Lord will put his heart in you and in me right now and that we would not be content with any more withered people around us like the Pharisees were. Amen? Amen. We're going to go into a time of worship, and then afterwards Billy's going to come up and we'll go into the, uh, the volunteer fair.